Welcome to Interwork with Marianne Walker, certified life coach for the helpers, healers, and anyone who wants to up-level their life. Life is what you make it, and here we make life pretty great. Come on in. Well, hi there, and welcome back. So I recently posted a video on all of my socials about filling your cup with positive things and how this can actually displace negativity. And a um, little side note, this clip totally went viral. <laughs> right now I have 1.4 million views on TikTok of this one clip. It is blowing my mind. I'm probably going to talk about that more next week. But for today, um, yeah, I just want to share with you about a little bit about that video clip. So it was all about how positive things can displace negativity. And it reminded me about the best advice I received when I was married. And that advice was focus less on making your home a place where bad things don't happen. And instead, focus more on making your home a place where good things can happen. And that advice has absolutely shaped who I am today as a wife, as a mother, as a person. It has absolutely been transformative for me. I absolutely believe that this mindset of focusing on the positive can create and support a more abundant life. And also, I stand by the fact that we are all going to experience both positive and negative in life. There's no way around it. It's just a fact. But what we choose to focus on, that's what's going to expand. So this little video, it actually sparked a very meaningful conversation when somebody commented and they asked, okay, but how is this different from toxic positivity? She said, I'm earnestly asking, how does this apply to rape, abuse, and mental illness? And there was only so much that I could say in my 60-second video reply to her, and I just really felt strongly that this question needed more time and space. And so I decided right then and there that my next podcast episode needed to be on the difference between toxic positivity and optimism. So in a nutshell, I believe that toxic positivity is essentially radical denial. It's pretending that nothing is wrong. It's denying the existence of a negative thought or a negative experience. Optimism, on the other hand, is radical acceptance. Optimistic radical acceptance says, yes, this is happening. Yes, this is my experience. Yes, I see it. Yes, I accept that this is my current truth. And also, I'm choosing to focus on the things that are working for me, and I'm choosing to focus on the things that are in my control. So let's dig a little bit deeper into toxic positivity. So as we explore this through the lens of radical resistance or radical denial, um, this is essentially pretending that the bad stuff isn't there. It's the belief that everyone should be happy all of the time. Right. So this might look like minimizing through well-intentioned comments like, oh, well, they're in a better place or you'll see them again in the next life when a family member or a pet has died. And while this may be a part of both parties' belief systems, the timing of these comments will determine how they are received. So saying this right in the height of grief, it could actually be viewed as toxic positivity, whereas these comments coming in after the grief has had a little time to be felt and to settle, then it might bring a bit more peace and comfort. So in other words, the timing of these comments makes the difference between supportive optimism and toxic positivity. It may also look like telling somebody with chronic illness, hey, we'll just power through it when they feel like they have nothing more to offer the world. Or maybe telling someone with depression, oh, we'll just look on the bright side. This can feel extremely dismissive to individuals going through this experience. So I know that these comments come from a good place. It comes from the well-intentioned desire to not want anyone to hurt or experience pain. 
But these comments can actually increase the very pain and discomfort that we're wanting to wish away for them. In fact, when someone is denied the space to process their negative emotions, it can actually feel a lot like gaslighting because it is denying them of their own reality. It's denying them their pain. It's denying them their grief. It's denying them the space to process and feel their emotions. And that can feel pretty crazy making because it leads one to believe that they should be feeling something else in that moment, something other than what they are currently feeling. So yes, these comments are said with the best of intentions. They're made with a sincere desire to take away the pain and replace it with peace and happiness. But the thing is, grief and pain are just a part of life. They just are. We have to learn how to navigate them. And once we can see and recognize that pain and grief are just a part of life and radically accept that, then we can process those emotions and move on. But these emotions must be seen and felt and processed fully as part of our healing process first. So I find that oftentimes those who make these toxic positivity comments, they do so more than likely because they haven't yet learned how to feel and process their own negative emotions. Because they feel so out of control and fearful of their own emotions, it's basically, for them, the worst thing in the world for somebody that they know and love to experience any negative emotion, any pain or grief or fear. Because how could they possibly help their loved ones? How could they possibly hold the space with them as they process their pain or grief or fear if they haven't learned how to process those emotions for themselves? So of course they're going to make comments to try to wish it away because they feel super uncomfortable in that space and they don't know what to do with it. So they pretend like it isn't there. And also when they do this, it actually becomes about them and their discomfort around the situation rather than about the person that they're trying to show up and love and comfort. And that kind of leads me to my next thought is that yes, it's easier to identify toxic positivity in others, but oftentimes we are the culprit. We may discover that our biggest conflict with toxic positivity lies within our own selves, that we have internalized the belief that we must be happy 100% of the time. And if we aren't happy 100% of the time, it must mean that something is wrong with us. So maybe we messed up somewhere along the way. Maybe we chose the wrong partner or we accepted the wrong job or we are broken internally in some way. And we might judge our processing and tell ourselves that we've had, you know, quote unquote, enough time to process our emotions, whatever that means, and that we should be done feeling our feelings by that now, that it shouldn't bother us anymore. Or maybe we tell ourselves that because the pain doesn't feel good, like we just need to push it away and pretend it isn't there. But the thing is, if you don't tend to the wound, it festers. So I'm going to take a few creative liberties with an example that was given in Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul. Fantastic book. I highly recommend it. I will put a link in the show notes where you can get one month free on Audible if you'd like to go and have a listen. So check out the show notes for that. Uh, but let's imagine for a moment that grief, depression, or trauma shows up in a very physical way in our very physical bodies, like as a huge spike in our arm. So we know that it's there and we know that we are in need of care. And then we maybe try to tell somebody about it 
And somebody expressing toxic positivity might say something like, oh, that's not so bad. Look, you only have a spike in one arm. Your other arm is totally fine. Let's focus on that. Or they might say, oh, well, my brother had a bigger spike in his arm. Like, you should be grateful that it's not worse. Or maybe they might say something like, oh, you should be grateful that the spike is in your arm and not in your leg. It would be really bad if it were in your leg. So look on the bright side. But the thing is, we still have a huge spike in our arm <laughs> and not addressing it isn't going to change that. And maybe if we're the ones struggling with internal toxic positivity, then we might try to trick ourselves into believing that the spike isn't there. And this is how we gaslight ourselves because the spike is there and we know it's there, but we're just choosing to pretend that it isn't. So we use our other arm to cover up the spikes so that we don't have to look at it, but also it's inevitably going to get bumped and remind us that it's there. So here we are going through the motions of life at work, at home, wherever we're at, and we aren't addressing the wound. And also <laughs> at the same time, while we're trying to pretend it's not there, we are actually building our entire life around this spike in our arm. So when it does get bumped and it causes us pain, then we might lash out, don't touch it. I don't want to think about it. And people around us might be really confused, right? And so we're trying to pretend it's not there, but we're also allowing this wound to rule our lives. We are allowing it to dictate how close we can get to other people, for example. We're allowing it to impact every aspect of our lives and all while pretending that it isn't there. And so this wound, it goes unattended due to neglect, and it might fester and become worse and worse. And maybe soon we might start to identify as the wound. You know, so we're walking around, we're saying, okay, well, I need other people to open doors for me. I need people to drive for me. I need people to accommodate me because I'm choosing not to address this huge spike in my arm. And I'm just pretending it's not there. But at the same time, everybody else needs to know it's there and accommodate me. And I'm just hoping if I ignore it, it'll go away. So we're pretending it's not there, and yet we're overly identifying as this wound and creating our whole lives around it. But the thing is, what you resist persists. So if you are constantly denying the reality of your pain or your trauma, if you're constantly denying the fact that your wound is in need of care, it will actually increase its power over you. And it's possible that this wound, be it physical or emotional, it could eventually consume you. So what if instead you practiced optimistic, radical acceptance? What if through optimistic, radical acceptance, you actually addressed the wound? What if you acknowledged it was there? What if you were willing to look at it, to see how big it is, to see what angle it's going in so that you can remove it, to, to wonder what tools might I need to remove this from my arm? What does it need by way of care? Do I need to clean it? Does it need an ointment? What about a bandage? How big of a bandage? How often do I need to change the dressing? And maybe you even ask the question, okay, so once I've tended to the wound and removed the spike and cleaned it and put on an ointment and bandaged it, how long does my arm need to rest and heal? And this is how processing pain can actually increase our capacity for joy and wholeness. Because rather than letting the wound fester due to neglect and allowing it to rule our lives, we can radically accept that this is a current pain being faced. We can accept that, you know, we can't control the fact that the spike was put there, but also we can accept that there are things that we can do about it now. And this is where the mindset shifts to focus on the things that are in our control. This is where the healing begins. It comes in the form of optimistic, radical acceptance that yes, there is a spike in my arm. 
And also, I am capable of seeking out the support I need to repair it. I can seek out professionals. I can seek out medicated ointments. I might even join a support group for other people who have been inflicted by a spike in their arm. I can trust that my body is capable of amazing feats when it comes to healing. I can trust that my mind can create new neural pathways to support this healing. I can find peace in knowing that in time, I will heal. And I can trust the process and give myself time and space for healing. And I may even eventually be better off because of it. I might be more empathetic towards others in a similar situation. I might become an expert on spikes or on wound care or spike removal. I can trust that I will eventually be somewhere else in my healing, but I must first come to radically accept where I am. I must first address the spike. And side note, only the person experiencing the wound or the trauma gets to decide how much time they need for healing. We don't get to choose the timeline or destination for another person's healing journey. It is 100% up to them. If you need help letting go of your expectations around someone else's healing or someone else's timeline, I encourage you to go and listen to my episode on manuals. I will post a link in the show notes. Uh, but the, only the person experiencing the wound or the trauma gets to decide how much time they need for their healing. Our only job is to meet them where they're at, to love and care for them and ask questions like, hey, how can I help? What comes next on your healing journey? What do you need from me? and then radically accept their answer. Not what we think their answer should be, but what their honest responses for the place where they are currently at in their healing. This is optimistic radical acceptance. It is acknowledging that spikes happen. I mean, okay, hopefully spikes in the arm don't actually happen, but you get what I mean. Life happens and it isn't always sunshine and daisies, but the greater our capacity is to see and feel and acknowledge our pain, the more willing we are to address it, the greater will be our capacity to experience joy through healing. It is impossible to selectively numb emotions. So oftentimes we think that, okay, well, if I can just stop feeling pain and insecurity and depression, then I will be happy. But the truth is, when we dial down those emotions, our other emotions are muted as well. It limits our capacity for joy. It is when we learn how to feel and acknowledge and process these emotions that our joy will actually be increased. So I really want you to think about it for a minute. When you were a child and everything was handed to you and all of the boo-boos were kissed better and you probably thought that you knew what happiness was and you also probably thought you knew and understood pain. And then you got older, you skinned your knee, you had your first heartbreak, maybe your parents divorced. And also you experienced your first kiss, your first love, your first day of freedom that comes with getting a driver's license. Maybe you even experienced a wedding and babies and how much greater then was your capacity to experience joy. So yes, hard things do happen, things that we wouldn't choose. And yet maybe, just maybe, those experiences bring us perspective. Maybe they help us to learn through the contrast. Maybe they even taught us something that we might not have learned in any other way. So yes, you experience significant heartbreak and also maybe you increased your capacity for joy. So trust the process, it will come. We can't selectively numb emotions, but we can learn how to navigate all that life has to offer and deepen our ability to feel and embrace all of it, the bad and the good. If you are struggling with healing from a traumatic event, I encourage you to reach out. 
to a trauma-informed coach, to a therapist, to a trusted friend or family member. I actually know several people who find it most supportive to work with a coach and a therapist at the same time. So whatever you choose to do, find a safe space for processing emotion. And if you're wondering if you and I would be a good fit for each other and you aren't quite sure if coaching or therapy would be the best choice for you where you're currently at in your healing journey, email me at Marianne at MarianneWalker.life and let's workshop it together. I'll let you know where the best course of action might be for you. We were not made to be happy all the time. And I'm convinced that if we were quote unquote happy all the time, we wouldn't actually be as joyful as we have the capacity to be now because we wouldn't have anything to compare it to. There is beauty found through contrast. There is beauty found in the sunshine, yes. And there's also beauty found in the dark of night. Both of these are absolutely beautiful. And both of them are part of the human experience. But if we were always in day or if we were always in night and we had nothing to compare it to, we might not find these things as beautiful. So enjoy the contrast of the day and the night, as well as the beauty that comes with the transition between the two of them. This contrast is what deepens our joy and appreciation. It doesn't take away the night. It just gives us perspective. It gives us hope and a knowledge that the sun will return. Allow space for emotion through optimistic, radical acceptance of what is. You have got this and I can help. I currently have three openings for one-on-one -on -one coaching, and this month I'm offering this by way of a six-week program. So if you'd like to work together, come and book a session with me at MarianneWalker.life. And again, if you're still unsure if coaching would be the best option for you, message me and let's, let's workshop it together. Also, if you want to deepen your level of emotional intelligence, make sure that you're following me on social media. I'm planning to start incorporating more emotional intelligence exercises into my videos over there. Um, so because I really find that practicing feeling emotion, even if you're just pretending in the moment, and it's not something that you're currently struggling with, it really helps to increase our level of emotional intelligence. And then when we do experience those emotions in real time, it helps to speed up our processing when something does come up. So I plan to post videos every here and there where we can practice identifying how certain emotions feel in our body together. So you can find me on Facebook at Inner Work with Marianne Walker. It has the same name as this podcast. Or you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, or Pinterest at MarianneWalker.life. And hey, if you have a moment to leave me a review on this podcast, I would really appreciate it. It really does help me to spread the word about the power of mindfulness and the power of coaching. And if you know a friend or family member that you think might benefit from this episode, please feel free to share. I love you guys. Let's work together on filling the world with genuine positivity through radical acceptance and gratitude. I love you all and I hope you have a great week. Bye now. <laughs>